This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners, I have a question for you to consider. Since diabetes is one of the few chronic conditions that can be very effectively managed by an individual, why are there so many people with poorly managed diabetes? Despite conventional logic, it's not that most people aren't willfully noncompliant with their diabetes care. Instead, many have extenuating socioeconomic or other burdens that lead them to drifting away. From their diabetic care plans. And on this week's episode, we have Richard Mackey, Chief Technology Officer at CCS, a company that transforms chronic care management by combining equipment and products with comprehensive education, monitoring, and coaching. I mean, they're serving 400 employers and more than 1,800 managed care plans to nationally support patients with diabetes. And joining him on the podcast is John Claude Sagbini. Chief Technology Officer at Lumeris, one of the leading companies out there supporting providers in the value-based care ecosystem. And Jean-Claude is also on the advisory board for CCS. And, you know, Dan, I, I'm just really excited. This is the first time on Race to Value that we've had a diabetes-specific uh, focused conversation and talked about where it intersects with technology enablement to truly improve patient health outcomes. Eric, me too. This is a great conversation. Richard and Jean-Claude spoke with us about how technology-assisted disease management makes the patient experience less arduous. And one of the things I got out of this conversation is even though devices and digital tools such as continuous glucose monitors, insulin pumps, chatbots, and smartphones, they've definitely made the experience easier for patients in recent years. But they've also generated an enormous amount of new and unique data. And this information can be used to drive valuable insights into both the individual and populations, but we've really got to be able to access that data and know what to do with it. And by merging rich, non-traditional data sources like purchase trends with foundational elements like claims and clinical services, and putting that together with a trusted care team that can develop one-of-a-kind insights into individuals' risks and behaviors. I mean, that's where real power lies. And, and translating that broad, extensive, multiple data set into actions that are information-specific to an individual and hold potential to better manage the entire population. I mean, we're talking about changing the trajectory for chronic disease with this kind of information. And 
ultimately the data feeds are the fuel. Well, Dan, I, I can't agree more. I mean, this is about changing lives. I mean, the trajectory for each patient that's dealing with this chronic disease that's so pervasive in our society and diabetes. And it's also about team-based care and trust. Listeners, we appreciate your support. Every week, we're out there uh, trying to democratize this content and bring you the best and brightest leaders. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please sign up for our newsletter at racetovalue.org forward slash newsletter. Also, uh, feel free to leave us a, a review or rating on Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. And without further delay, let's go ahead and hear from Richard and Jean-Claude as they're talking about this future of personalized care and diabetes. Richard and Jean-Claude, welcome to the Race to Value. It is so incredible to have you on the show this week. Thanks, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Well, gentlemen, I thought we would begin our conversation today by talking about the potential role of technology in improving care outcomes for those dealing with diabetes. I mean, diabetes is such a significant problem in, in the U.S. It's affecting over 37 million people. I mean, it leads to numerous health complications like cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, retinopathy, neuropathy, lower limb amputations, and these complications really impact an individual's quality of life and increases mortality. However, despite the opportunity for patient activation to avoid these devastating outcomes, there's still so many people in this country with poorly managed diabetes. And the reason, as I understand, isn't that these poor population health outcomes are happening because people are willfully non-compliant with their care. Instead, it's that many of these patients have so many extenuating socioeconomic or other circumstances that are drifting them away from their care plans. And given these barriers to adherence, it seems like technology could be utilized to build a bridge between different streams of data to improve chronic condition management. I mean, if we're able to, as an industry, extract these insights from clinical, financial, SDOH, you know, buying behavior from patient self-reported information, I mean, these tech-based engagement platforms can really surface a lot of actionable recommendations that can drive care delivery and and ultimately lead to health and wellness for millions of people. So, you know, gentlemen, as we start our conversation today, I wanted to see if you could provide your perspective on the potential for aggregating all of these disparate data sources and applying advanced analytics to deliver insights to patients and their care teams. I mean, is this an achievable thing in the current environment, or do we first have to get through a lot of the structural changes in the healthcare system, like interoperability and data democratization to make this a reality? It's a it's a great question, Eric. Uh, this is Richard Mackey, and my background, I've been working in technology related to healthcare for the better part of 15 plus years in global pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, various supply chain, healthcare focused organizations. And to your point around, when I look at the opportunities that we have, I think it's not that we need to wait for better or greater interoperability. I think that the imperative is now, especially in a setting like diabetes condition, when you think about some of the factors that you shared and uh, the growth of the disease state and the prevalence of it, as well as the cost to society or the risks to the patient, I think that the time that we, we need to act is now, and I think that the opportunity that we have uh, is now. So there are opportunities certainly where technology plays a big part in being able to connect data from different sources, different points of view that help the individual stay on their care plan, as you alluded to. And I think 
the an opportunity for uh, an organization like ours at, at CCS is that uh, we really sit at the nexus of the relationship between a provider, a patient, a payer even. So we've got a, a number of different uh, entities in our healthcare system and getting at that interoperability that you talked about is really where we can connect the dots and be in a, in an extender of different interests. And so supporting both, you know, primarily all of the, all of this starts with the relationship between the provider and the patient. And I think what's important and unique about what we're looking to drive is that solutions connect those dots and bring insights and information together for the patient. It does it in a variety of ways, both traditional, which our organization has been has been at for the last 30 years almost, and connects those dots in a way that makes it possible for the patient to stay on track. And I think as we talk more about that this afternoon, those are what I see as the exciting opportunities in, in what we're doing, that it doesn't actually require a larger structural data interoperability framework or platform. Of course, those are important goals and we continue to strive for them as an industry and as a society. But the the imperative is really now that it must be done and it can be done to connect those dots and be that extender of care through both data and uh, technical solutions. I'll add to that a little bit. I completely agree with what Richard is saying. Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that we won't benefit a lot as a healthcare industry and as patients from cleaner data more interoperability, more predictable data flows, more timely data, data that's normalized to standards such that it means the same thing between system one and system two and system three. On the other hand, while we're aiming for these ideals and great objectives, a lot can be done with what we have today. It's more difficult. There are probably a few organizations out there that have figured out how to do it because it does require overcoming those challenges of Again, cleaning up the data, normalizing it, slicing it, dicing it, making it make sense. But once you do that, and again, it's feasible, then it becomes an imperative to start using it and using those insights to drive better care for patients. So it's a long road ahead of us to get to the ideal state of interoperability, but much can be done with the tools that we have today. Gentlemen, I want to build on what you're saying and Jean-Claude to reiterate what you said. There's definitely strong evidence to show that technology-assisted disease management tools make the patient experience less arduous. Devices and digital tools like continuous glucose monitors or CGMs, insulin pumps, chatbots, and smartphones have not only made the experience easier for patients in recent years, but they've also generated an enormous amount of new and unique data. And this information is invaluable in population health management for the insights that they provide. Unlike any other time in modern medicine, we now have visibility into metabolic trends that can drive successful management of a person's chronic conditions. Just take, for example, the CGM devices. They can actually provide real-time data on glucose levels in diabetic patients, making it a valuable tool for managing diabetes. And they can help providers identify high-risk patients to tailor their treatment plans, identify the trends in the blood glucose levels at the population level even, and improve patient engagement by providing real-time feedback to the patient on their glucose levels. What are your thoughts on being able to capture biometric data at scale? This is where 
partnering uh, becomes very important. If everybody's trying to solve that problem on their own, the cost will be exorbitant for every organization, every health system, every provider network to, to try to tackle this on their own. There are many in the industry who have built the scale to be able to aggregate, uh, again, I'll, re- I'll repeat some of them, right? So and you, you just mentioned them now. So some of them are real-time da- uh, data feeds, CGM devices, data feeds coming from patients themselves. Those have to be combined with EHR data, admission, discharge, transfer, ADT data, combining it with claims data from payers, all of that lab data, pharmacy data, et cetera. So all of that data combined starts giving you a 360 view of the patient. That data is needed. It's exciting that now we can combine it all. Again, the historical data with real-time data. But my advice is to go at it in a partnership mode versus do it alone mode in order to make sure that the, the costs become manageable. I think, Daniel, too, building on Jean-Claude's comments, there are unique uh, insights that organizations bring to that table. So Trying to solve it all across the board is cost prohibitive, as Jean-Claude mentioned, but being able to add your own unique insights. So in the case of CCS, we're working with hundreds of thousands of patients and have been for uh, almost 30 years in, in this area. And so there are routine interactions that are ongoing throughout the course of the year. And when you bring together some of those data sets from EHR or device data, along with that ongoing pattern of of ordering supplies, for example, or being able to talk about difficulty that patients are having in just day-to-day practicality of using the devices. Those kinds of insights seek, I think, to become part of a more complete holistic solution. So again, kind of mapping back to that 360-degree view of the patient, where if you rely on just one or two or two or three sources, it's not enough. And I think that's the real immediate opportunity in front of us now. Yeah, let me provide some examples around that. We're seeing health systems and provider networks across the country starting to use data to drive action. So examples of the data are is what I mentioned earlier, looking at claims, EHR, clinical data, data from a variety of sources, including social determinants of health data, which uh, you mentioned at the beginning of of this conversation, and and that's certainly a very interesting topic to dig into. So that data comes comes together on platforms that can slice it, dice it, extract insights from it, and those insights effectively drive the next action. That action could be what the provider should do about a particular patient or what the patient should do themselves. It could be action around alerting a patient on non-adherence to medication or to testing or alerting the provider that the risk profile of a patient is increasing because of a variety of clinical and non-clinical factors. And what we're seeing also is that when these methods and technologies are applied, there's a clear and measurable change in the trajectory of the disease condition of of the patient, ultimately resulting in higher quality and also reducing costs across the, the network. So gentlemen, as I'm thinking about the power of this technology, there's so much that can be done with predictive analytics. I mean, once these new data sets from digital health tools are appropriately extracted, aggregated, 
analyzed in conjunction with what you were discussing with the clinical financial, socioeconomic, you know, uh, buying behavior data. I mean, there's uh, this power that you can unlock and predictive capabilities and providers can take that and they can develop these personalized risk-based patient profiles. And that's going to be crucial for effectively predicting outcomes and guiding interventions and population health. And predictive analytics at this level, however, are only applying what doctors have been doing on a much larger scale. I mean, what's changed really is our ability to measure and aggregate and make sense of previously hard to obtain or non-existent behavioral, psychosocial, and biometric data. And if we're able to combine these data sets with the existing sciences of epidemiology and clinical medicine, it's going to allow us to accelerate progress and understanding relationships between external factors and human biology. So I wanted to see if you could discuss the power of predictive analytics and chronic disease management, and why is it so important to aggregate data from multiple source types? I mean, how can analytics of this magnitude ultimately result in enhanced reengineering of clinical pathways and truly personalized care for those that are dealing with diabetes? Thanks, Eric. It's a great question. And I think it gets to the heart of what makes this so interesting and exciting for me. We look a lot at CCS at, at uh, diabetes as a condition and, and it's imminently manageable. But as you alluded to, different factors in a patient's life can affect their ability to stay on therapy or their ability to stay with their care plan. And it can be from a variety of factors, a variety of sources, and it, and it fluctuates throughout their journey. So a lot of the fascinating part of this for me is our opportunity to look at analytics or predictive analytics by bringing together the data from a variety of these sources. It can be uh, SDOH data, it can be clinical data, it can be financial or even supply chain uh, related activity and be able to uh, look at that in a holistic way and predict in certain cases when an individual is likely to go off of therapy or suffer some other kind of distraction that may prevent them from doing what they otherwise would have been in mind. And I think it's that opportunity to do that. And, and for me, what's, what's particularly exciting or interesting is being able to do that at the individual or at the patient level. So we often talk when we're developing platforms and solutions, we look at personas, we look at segments, we look at uh, certain profiles, and we look to associate people with those kinds of profiles. And then we take action or make recommendations based on that. I think what's really changed and what makes this more a unique opportunity and moment in time where we have to act now is that we can do this at the individual level. And so our uh, care plan and our solutions, whether they're human interaction service-based or whether they're technology platform-based, are at an individual level, almost as unique as a, a fingerprint or a snowflake, right? Like there, there isn't a prescribed pattern that you're putting somebody into a certain segment or a certain persona, and then that person's receiving the same kind of advice or, or direction as what an, another person in that segment might be getting. This is really uniquely custom, and it's, and it's primarily due to that high volume of data and the various interactions and you know possibilities and permutations of how all those things come together that make it so individual and so unique. And so I think that's kind of the, the big takeaway that I have in the work that we're doing and the opportunity that we have to bring together those different points of care in both technology and in service. I'll add to what Richard said. I'll give you a couple of examples in examples that we're doing at Lumeris. Example one is we are using data 
to and building mo predictive models, AI models, to predict the risk of someone having housing issues or having transportation issues to get to a site of care or affordability models, communication models, communication barriers. And those become very important components in added to clinical variables that already exist in, in getting a 360 view of that patient. Example two, we're using those variables, right? The housing issues variable, uh, the risk of transportation issues, affordability, et cetera, combining that with the clinical data from a variety of forms to predict the what's going to happen to that patient, right? Or to recompute now a new risk score for that patient, not only based on the clinical data, but taking into consideration housing, transportation, affordability, language, communication, and so on and so forth. So it, it's an exciting time because we're, we're sort of at the intersection of AI becoming more prevalent, uh, predictive analytics become more prevalent because computational power is there and so on, as well as being able to access data that is beyond what has historically been looked at as healthcare data, which is clinical data only, and, and giving us a better view of that patient. And all of a sudden, we start seeing the patient as, as more of a consumer of healthcare. Um, they certainly don't want to be a patient, right? They want to exit being a patient. So now they're an individual who's a consumer of healthcare. To what Richard said, it's an N of one patient with a 360 view of that we can care for clinically, as well as with factors that maybe not be clinical, but can move their disease trajectory. In addition to the application of clinical data to re-engineer provider workflows and drive care interventions, you know, you're mentioning that uh, digital health and diabetes can also provide a view into patient activities that are consumption focused. One example could be supply ordering. Building on that example, diabetes supply ordering patterns can actually be used as an early indicator to show that there's a problem with a person's self-care routines. And someone who stops ordering supplies on a regular basis might be struggling with costs. They might not have a stable home in which to receive deliveries, or they've fallen away from their recommended care plan for other reasons. And these types of data, which are traditionally only used as business metrics for healthcare supply chain companies, really have significant value for clinicians if they're successfully integrated with other data sets into one population health platform. Uh, do, do either of you have uh, additional insights or thoughts to further elaborate on the consumption-focused data and how it's being used to drive population health management for diabetes? Sure. So one, one point, uh, when we look at the role that a CCS plays in being able to provide supplies to a patient uh, in their home on a regular basis, there are a variety of tools that we use to best uh, deliver that service and, and the product. And then the insights around those, the use of those tools is what helps us to be able to uh, learn from the likelihood that somebody may not be able to uh, get onto product therapy as quickly, or once they're on product therapy, may not be able to stay on product therapy. So some of the uh, advanced insights uh, around data have allowed us to look at what happens when patients go off of therapy, for example. And we found that, as you might expect, costs are, are higher based on other third-party claims that are that are involved with that patient's consumption of, of healthcare services. That opportunity to be able to better deliver outcomes by staying on therapy, like a, a continuous glucose monitor, as an example, and the subsequent supplies around the reorder for that every 
every several weeks or every several months uh, after the the patient is on therapy allow us to to learn from what works and what doesn't uh, for that patient and be able to provide um, services to them, both technical as well as just regular support from a point of view where other factors like financial or uh, opportunity to engage with their physician may come into play. So it's a great example where the services that we provide or that can be provided to a patient help support the relationship and the existing care plan between the provider and that patient. But it's about kind of connecting the dots or filling in the space between those other factors that are coming into into that patient's life that may be uh, intercepting what their intent might otherwise be. Well, gentlemen, we've been talking a lot about transforming care outcomes for the diabetic population, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the business case and value-based care. You know, there's a large body of evidence to suggest a correlation between medical cost savings and lower hemoglobin A1C scores in diabetic populations, for example. I mean, we've seen that, you know, if you have better glycemic control, there's a lower risk of complications. I mean, there's so many studies out there, like American Journal of Managed Care, for example, found that a 1% reduction in A1Cs was associated with a 10% reduction in total medical costs for patients with type 2 diabetes, and they had lower healthcare utilization with hospitals and hospitalizations and ED visits. And there was another study published in the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy, and they found that a diabetes management program that included biometric monitoring, medication management, lifestyle coaching was associated with an average PMPM savings of you know $66 and with a significant improvement in A1C level. So as I'm kind of looking at this data, basically, if you have an A1C greater than nine, you're going to cost on average about $10,000 more per year than a patient that has an A1C that's less than seven. So I wanted to see if you both could speak about some of these ACOs and risk-bearing entities that are out there that are combining equipment and products with comprehensive education, monitoring, and coaching. I mean, for those that are hyper-focused on technology-enabled chronic care management for their diabetic populations, are there some success stories out there for those that are improving health outcomes and actually generating a healthy profit margin within a value-based payment construct? We certainly see that better care and lower-cost care can go hand-in-hand together. And and that's good news because – That means that the shift from fee-for-service to value-based care can provide the outcomes that everybody's looking for, both in terms of quality as well as cost. On the other hand, there are challenges to getting there. We do see many success stories. We work with with many health systems and provider networks who have been successfully transforming on that journey. What I would say is there are a few ingredients that are necessary for success The first one is having aligned incentives and making sure that those incentives cross all the way into the provider offices and everybody being on the same page and into the new model that they're transforming to. The second one is what we just talked about now over the past chunk of time, which is technology is needed to enable that. Uh, First enabled by data, then slicing and dicing the data, extracting insights, and then driving action through these insights. And then the third component is change management. So, you know, once we have the data and once we have what to do about the data, 
Where we've seen a lot of success is where there has been very effective change management processes. And those change management processes have to take into consideration that it's not a instantaneous shift from fee-for-service to value-based care. The two systems have to coexist, and therefore the, the new processes have to account for the fact that the part of the population is fee-for-service population, and the other part is value-based care population, and, and making sure that that can be done in a rational way that doesn't add extra work to physicians. So yes, it can be done. Again, the you know aligned incentives are key, a technology infrastructure, and then finally a change management approach that's well thought out to make sure that the new processes take hold in health systems and, and in provider networks. I would just add to JC's comments to say that uh, absolutely, in our view, the combined offering of those services along with uh, the support for the product itself, we've seen, and, and I may have mentioned earlier, we've seen in our own research that aligns with other data in the market that um, folks that are managing diabetes that are adherent to their CGM therapy are 20%, consuming 20% less in, in the value of healthcare services than those that are uh, adherent to the to their therapy. And so there's clearly uh, aligned incentives, both in the, the, the healthcare journey to stay on therapy and uh, for uh, other providers and payers in, in the system as well. But for the, for the patient, we, we have several programs that we offer, some that include both the, the, the product and the device, along with like a, a PMPM model, for example, that you referenced, Eric, and then others that also include uh, pharmacy-related products and services there. And, and it always comes back to the frequency of the interaction between the patients. On average, we're working with patients dozens of times uh, a year. And in some cases, that can even be more often than their interaction with their provider or their physician. And so that opportunity for frequent interaction and coaching and, and education, sometimes it's around like product use. Other times it's around uh, something more uh, clinical related to the A1C level and an understanding of, of their own lifestyle choices and how that affects the outcomes. But it's a variety of factors that go across the spectrum throughout the year. And I think it's that defines that relationship and that service in a way that really embodies that value-based care concept and, and um, target. So just for, for what that's worth, I think that's a big important part of what we're trying to drive at here, that it's not just a it's not just a, a transaction, but it's a it's a it's a relationship with um, with the patient. As we're talking about the importance of patient relationships, we also need to see how we can enable a better online patient experience. And this is really important to patient centered care delivery. It's a key action step for healthcare organizations to reimagine the primary care experience and enable their consumers to access care online whenever they need it. I think really having a, a digital front door will be a powerful tool for differentiation in the competitive landscape in the years to come. Having that digital front door and caring for diabetic populations can improve communication, care coordination, and population health management, and ultimately lead to a better patient outcome and more efficient healthcare delivery. With personalization and localization as table stakes for healthcare providers, how should healthcare organizations be thinking about how to provide instant access to information and the immediate fulfillment of healthcare needs for patients with diabetes? 
So my view is that we've done quite a bit to integrate capabilities around care management that uh, are important for us to have a holistic 360 degree view of the patient. And that helps to drive and fuel our interactions. And I think Daniel, to the question that you're getting at, which is that immediacy of data and the availability of that data, uh, often that has to be in the form of tools for uh, the patient and the consumer. And so we also have uh, made investments and uh, brought to life uh, more self-managed care options that provide a variety of resources and data available to the patient at any time that they choose and in a variety of nodes to access that information. I think the, the key is to be able to from, from my point of view, the availability of that information in real time or as close to real time as possible is what gives uh, strength to the consumer and to the patient in this case, which makes it more of like a consumer driven uh, model and approach. I think those are the expectations that people have and the obligation that we have as, as partners in, in providing value to them. I think the, the balance and the important part is to be able to manage that from a safety and a security point of view and to ensure that uh, the patient is maintaining that care plan that is really provider-driven. That's sort of the, the core of what we do. So our, our philosophy of being patient-focused and centered and that the data and the solutions are geared toward each individual patient, that's always wrapped around the care plan that's established by the provider and by the physician. And so I think the ability to do that is what makes it um, valuable. I would add to, to those points successful technology to engage patients is technology actually that is sometimes not even apparent to the patient. You know, again, we believe that patients are humans and consumers first, and they don't want to be bombarded and reminded all the time that they are patients. So the more of the technology that can be running in the background, monitoring, observing, checking on things, and then surfacing only the exceptions that we want patients to do something about, the more successful we are. More importantly, is surfacing those actions that we want patients to take in a, through mediums that patients are comfortable with, right? The second nature to them, things like, you know, phone calls or text messages, you know, it could be bot-based text messages or, or IVR calls, but surfacing those nudges in, in mediums that they are comfortable with, that they are more likely to engage with and not ignore is a, a critical element to success. Well, gentlemen, I can't help but think about technology enablement and how eventually it's going to be coupled with this in inevitable shift away from inpatient hospitalizations and procedures to care being delivered more in the home. I mean, this this shift in the industry is going to have a transformative impact on healthcare in the next decade. And, and this move to tech-enabled home-based care is going to go a long way to overcoming the challenges of this broken and fragmented care delivery system. I mean, when you look at the patient journey, specifically patients with diabetes, I mean, it's really fragmented. I mean, multiple specialists, just hard to navigate a broken system. These patients are diagnosed with diabetes. They're often sent home from the doctor's office with the prescription for medication, and they're given instructions to change their diets, and they're often confused. There are some challenges with, with health literacy. You know, the doctors may recommend that these patients use a digital health tool or devices to monitor their conditions at home. And the as well, which is great, but the patient's really trying to weave together this really complex chronic condition management scenario 
and they have to figure out also how you know how to reorder these products and what's going to happen to them if the device breaks and there's an opportunity here you know if you give them the right supplies personalized education ongoing coaching and home-based monitoring these people living with diabetes can achieve improved health outcomes and and this is really an opportunity i think for us as an industry to overcome this fragmented experience that's so emblematic of our healthcare system in the U.S. right now. So I wanted to see if you could speak to just the importance of value-based care and creating this integrated, seamless experience for patients suffering with diabetes. And what does it look like to provide people living with diabetes a more collaborative and informative approach to care at home? Yeah, you know, uh, Eric, it's a great uh, question. I think uh, I, I mentioned at the start, I've spent a career in healthcare uh, almost exclusively and probably like uh, like everybody listening to your call and uh, each of us on the call right now, we've all had different experiences with trying to help ourselves or a family member through it. My own last year was my father had a bad fall and had a time in the in the hospital as an inpatient and then uh, some kind of rehab services after. And that burden that you're describing, I, it's so relatable for all of us. I don't think there's any American above a certain age that hasn't either had to try to manage or coordinate care for a loved one or themselves, unfortunately, had to, to go through that. And it's very real, right? Like the, the need to kind of make that case, I don't think we even have to do any longer, which is in a way almost a, a sad thing. But the opportunity to unburden what uh, either caregivers or patients themselves are going through as they're trying to navigate managing the the condi a diabetic condition is is very real and goes almost goes without saying. So the opportunity to do that by being in that kind of nexus between the the provider, the payer, the patient themselves, that's the the real significant uh, opportunity to improve outcomes and being able to help patients maintain their therapy. You know, we have examples all the time where it'll be somebody not familiar with the device or how to initially start using it. And it's just really very minimal education. Sometimes it can be more payer focused where it's helping a patient to understand their out-of-pocket costs or their other factors related to their, their payer situation. And then sometimes it's even uh, understanding certain requirements with the physician or based on guidelines. And so there's a variety of different kinds of coaching and services that are being provided um, to the patient. But that shift to being focused on the outcome and being able to maintain therapy, maintain some clinical factors related to that, along with like time and range, for example, in, in the diabetic uh, example, those are all areas where we're, we've uh, configured or have services deployed to be able to provide that kind of service that yields a more consistent, better outcome for the patient overall. And that's a real shift from what we could do or what was possible even just uh, several years back, in, in my view. Jean-Claude, Richard, as we're wrapping up our conversation today, I'd love to get your perspective on the importance of trust in team-based care. And this harkens back to something that was mentioned earlier when we're talking about more than just uh, incentives and more than just the data, this kind of goes to the the change management, some of the other things that we need to be thinking about. And team-based care is so critical. If you consider even the most sophisticated data-driven interventions run the risk of failure if it's not backed up by an established trusted bond between patients and providers that's well-positioned to deliver personalized interventions. And team members must be willing and able to go beyond the what and dig down to the why and really understanding a patient's preferences or actions. 
And we talked about earlier how most people aren't willing or aren't willfully non-compliant with their care. Instead, many have extenuating socioeconomic or other circumstances that can lead to falling away from their care plans. And to understand and address these challenges, care teams need access to the meaningful, actionable recommendations and explanations that are built on historical patterns of healthcare engagement and detailed SDOH data. Can you describe for our listeners what it means to care for people with diabetes truly as a team effort? And how can the industry do a better job of creating a surrounding ecosystem of physicians, nurses, care managers, and suppliers to better serve this vulnerable population? I think for us in the context of uh, diabetes and some of the products and services that we have, it's in being able to uh, share that uh, data, so that data interchange between the provider and uh, the products or the therapies that we're establishing for the patient is part of the equation. There's certainly claims and interactions between the payer that is also uh, many situations and scenarios where uh, the payers will have care management teams as well operating. And so there's an opportunity to um, share the the uh, encounter and the claims information among and between providers, payers, organizations like ourselves that are helping to connect those dots and provide for uh, services that help that patient live a better, you know, more aligned life with with their goals. I think the real opportunity in being able to to coordinate that care is, is as I mentioned earlier, right? We see the the physician really in the uh, kind of that quarterback position, and then a variety of uh, of other uh, agents and organizations being a part of the overall care plan and and, and solution for the patient. And I think with with a variety of those parties, with the dots connected, as I described earlier, with a variety of those services being deployed, I think the the patient is most able to best manage their own condition for themselves, but with a variety of services from, from other parties. Yeah, you've used uh, words like uh, team and trust and, and couldn't agree more. A, it's, it is a team effort and it can only be effective if there is trust for, from all parties in what the outcome will be from the patient in that they will be taken care of from the clinical team, care managers, that you know whatever is, is being done to the patients will provide the right outcomes. There are a few fundamentals, I believe, are uh, that are key to building that trust. One is that everybody's operating off of the same set of data. They may have different views of the data, but the data says the same thing if, if I'm a provider, if I'm a care manager, if I'm somebody at the at the uh, provider's office, or information is being sent to the patient, A, it's the same information. B is the more we start utilizing predictive analytics, you know, analytics that generate insights, um, machine learning, it's not only giving the what, but explaining the, the why behind the what so that the team members get more confident in the recommendations that are being given. I think the third element is, and this is maybe part of, the, part of it is on the trust, part of it is make it easy to, to consume, is whatever we put in the workflow has to integrate within existing workflows, making the, rec- whether they take, think of them as recommendations, next best action to be taken, insights being generated, having those pop into existing workflows, to minimize the to minimize the adoption curve and then finally we want to make sure that 
we're keeping the provider in the middle of the equation, the doctors in the middle. And to the extent that we are using technologies, at the end of the day, they are to support decision-making and they are maybe handling the bulk of tasks that need to be done, surfacing only exceptions for providers to deal with. But at the end of the day, that link of trust between a patient and their provider exists and the patient knows that they're being taken care of by their provider. And to the extent that it's technology, it's technology that their provider is leveraging to, to ensure that they are providing with better care. Well, gentlemen, I can't think of a better way to end our conversation. And, you know, there's a quote that I wanted to share as we wrap up this interview. Karen DeSalvo, he was quoted as saying, healthcare data is the lifeblood of modern medicine, but its value is limited without patient trust. Trust is the currency that enables the exchange of health information and empowers patients to take control of their health. Richard, Jean-Claude, I can't think of a, a more optimistic future if we're able to build this healthcare ecosystem that's aligned with incentives. It's focused on patient-centeredness and trust, and it's enabled by this empowerment of data, uh, multifaceted data feeds that, that you've described and creating and fueling a future of personalized care. I mean, we can create healing in our country by developing this multifaceted trust-based system that's leveraging the best in, of technology. I'm excited to be able to have this conversation with you both today and and the great work that CCS is doing and supporting the, the healthcare ecosystem. It's truly amazing work. And these patients suffering from diabetes really need the help. There's a pathway for them. If we can design the right system. So uh, again, Richard and Jean-Claude, I just wanted to thank you for spending time with us today to discuss this important topic. Eric, thanks to you and Daniel and your team for the platform to be able to talk about it. I think uh, like we've talked about here, there's that opportunity to do more and to be different. And uh, when we, especially when we talk about something like diabetes, I really believe that we're talking about everybody, right? There's no one member of anybody's family that is in touch with this, if not ourselves. And unfortunately, right, increasingly an issue. So it feels like the right opportunity and time for us to be able to take action and make a difference. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you and Daniel both feel the same way, which is a lot of the reason why you wake up in the morning and provide a platform and a community like this to talk about these issues. Really, the time is now and there couldn't be any more important work uh, at hand. So thanks again to you both for the opportunity to talk about this today. Oh, it is our pleasure. And we share in this uh, labor of love together. I mean, together we can make this happen. And uh, boy, I mean, I, I just think it's a bright future ahead and couldn't be more optimistic. Obviously, we have some some uh, immense challenges, but it seems like the, the solutioning is there and we could build this bridge between technology and humanity and doing right by redesigning our system. We'll be better for it. So again, gentlemen, uh, I've just can't thank you enough for being on our platform and, and engaging us in this uh, conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed the conversation.